Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Casey. And this is Too Much Film School. This week we're going to be talking about Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol. They realized that they were like, oh, we're four movies into this and it's 15 years old. It's kind of old and tired. So we're not going to remind you of the fact that this is the fourth one. And that's why they put in a, you know, an alternate yeah, title. Right. And uh, I still know it's the fourth one. Tom yeah. Cruise does look 50. They want to disavow some of the... Ah! See what you did there. I was actually excited for the movie. As much as I'm not a huge fan of the other number two in particular, uh, number three, I, as a franchise, I don't know that it needs to keep going. I liked the first one uh, a lot for what it was, and I thought it was a kind of one-off, fun, jokey popcorn movie on par with almost Charlie's Angels, number one. It's like, yeah, that was enjoyable. I don't need to see more, thanks, but, you know, good job. I, uh... Didn't have much of an affinity for the first couple. I think I saw the first movie when I was, you know, a teenager when it came out. Yeah. And maybe once since then. The second one I saw once and hated it because, I don't know, John Woo is in Hong Kong. He makes great movies. When he's in Los Angeles, he makes terrible movies. Yeah, it seems to be the way. I don't know. Uh, yeah, hey, Hitchcock made better movies when he came to America. So it's right, not no, just, it's not. It's not just coming to America makes you suck. Uh... But then the third one, I actually really enjoyed the third one a lot. Um, it wasn't, uh, you know, Citizen Kane or anything, but, like, it was fun. And there's a lot of deconstruction in that one where they were like, this is how the masks are made. Or right. they did that stupid part uh, where Tom Cruise has to fall and then almost hit the ground but not. Like, in Mission Impossible 3, they show him with a little spot meter to just check the distance. Yeah. And then he made his cord that long, you know? Uh, right. That one I thought actually did do what I thought this one was going to do, which was get more towards reality, and that, I think, is the best of them, uh, because it did kind of bring a lot of gritty realism, and even some of the inner office workings, you know, Lawrence Fishburne, and, like, you see some of the more workings instead of just someone handing him a package with a recording in it, yeah. you know, there's a bit more of the uh, real-life functioning of, you know, the, the unit. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, and then this one, it just, it's cheesy right from the beginning. Right. Right. This one, to me, felt the most like the first one, which I liked at the time and went, oh, it's fun, cheesy. But then once the second one kind of destroyed that with how badly it was made, the second one just, I'm just going to refer to as bad without a whole lot. The first one set up kind of in a cl classical way or, you know, a surprise ending, you know, like a twist. We have the, the opening credits on the first one where he's a Russian guy asking a guy in a hospital bed with, for the codes or whatever, tears off the mask, and we go, oh my god, that, that was Tom Cruise all this time? They have these masks, apparently, that are awesome. Then the titles go, and, you know, the opening sequence, and we get into the story. We wait to the full end of the movie, when uh, he's on a train, and there's all this action and intrigue, and who's on whose side, everything coming. For him to go, you know, the girl that's double-crossing, go to the back of the train, see what she thinks is John Voight, Tell her he's coming, but I don't want to kill him. I actually like him. And you're like, oh, well, that's touching. Takes off the mask. It's not John Voight. Tom Cruise, bitch. Uh, and that was a twist. It was kind of, again, setting it up before the credits. You're like, you remember the mask? I totally forgot about that because it was two hours ago. That's how you do it, right? And you're like, wow, what a twist. Uh, the second one had, I believe, 11 masks. <laughs> They're like, you remember how people, that was a great twist for people? Let's do that every three minutes. <laughs> and it's just ridiculous because, again, uh, John Woo makes ridiculous stuff with dubs. <laughs> From what I heard, he, he planned out the motorcycle crash where they jump off, they're driving at each other in motorcycle shooting. First off, there's no established shot. We have no idea how long, far apart those are. Cut to them, cut to them, shooting, driving, faster, closer. I'm like, in my mind, they've overtaken each other three times. I'm like, eh, and the, the sound is like, eh. I'm like, how can it get any higher? 
They finally cut to a wide shot. They're still a quarter mile apart. I was like, oh my God. And then they jump off the motorcycles, meet in midair, tangling. It is the worst sequence ever. And he planned all that before there was a script. He literally said, let's start previs on these things. And then some writer or someone tell me why we get to this point. That is how it's, and it shows in the movie. It was a ridiculous joke of a movie. So that's my spiel about that. But then the third one brought it back a little bit. Yeah, it was it was fun and entertaining, and this one, yeah, is not goes back to the first one with the yeah. tongue in cheek. But after I I saw the third one and went, oh, we can go in a gritty kind of born identity way, you know, like let's bring a little more Hurt Locker in maybe because with Jeremy Renner and the marketing telling me this, the marketing for this one really kind of got my attention more because it was a lot grittier. It had you know really up the action content and had Jeremy Renner coming in to look like people are saying maybe he'll take the mantle and do the. Ones after this, Tom Cruise getting older, going to pass the torch. So he brought, I thought, a lot of, you know, more realism or grittiness, at least to the trailers. Uh, <laughs> they were very realistic trailers. Well, just the parts where there's intrigue, whose side is he on, and, you know, the parts with them grappling over Which again. ended up not being a thing in the movie at all. Yeah. He's a guy, and he just... He helps out. Yeah. Yeah, he knows a little more than we thought, but he's still on our side. I thought, I think the, the marketing really played up a lot of the gritty realism, and making it look like there's intrigue with Jeremy Renner and he's bringing kind of that weight from the Hurt Locker and things that he's gotten famous for, the town. You know, he's done a lot of these heavy kind of based in reality movies that you're like, you know what, I believe him as that. And so I thought he would was bringing that to the Mission Impossible series, which has had questionable reality like from the beginning and from the show, mind you. It's not like they're inventing this, but it's got a certain level of cheesy tech, you know, or little puns and jokes that they incorporated in all of them. So I thought this one was getting away from that. Turns out, no. That was just a marketing plan to get me back into it, to con people back into seeing it, I think, because once you get in, pretty much from the get-go, they start with the small puns or the really cheesy kind of tech stuff, and even the pre-title sequence kind of like was a slap in the face to, oh, no, we're going we're going this route. With It starts off in Prague, and we're seeing an agent... Uh, running out of a, on a rooftop. There are two men who are clearly plainclothes, you know, some kind of special unit. They're not street cops. They are eight feet behind him as he's running across the rooftop and shooting at him, and they can't seem to hit him. And I was like, okay, really? For the first shot I well, see? Well, you know, in, that, in defense of that, it's actually incredibly unrealistic to show someone while you're moving and your target is moving, to actually hit them at right. a distance. That's actually really hard to do. Right, and yet, no, I was thinking in my mind, I thought of that, because I'm like, we're on an uneven rooftop and sh running and shooting. I'm like, but any trained person would think, I'm only eight feet away. I'm going to stop, drop to a knee, stop moving, and shoot at him while I'm stationary, because he is at max going to gain to 12 feet, which I can still hit a human target at. Right. So I was like, wait... Maybe they'll stop because they're even coming out of a doorway. They could have leaned on it, anything to stabilize. I'm like, again, this is kind of just what I think a military person would know. Uh, so they don't do that. He jumps off the edge, turns around, shoots both of them while falling. Hits them. Hits them. <laughs> has a backpack crash pad, you know, stuntman crash pad that deploys from his back. Because when he was going, he's like, you know what? I'm going to be jumping off something like that. <laughs> so that deploys and he gets out of it. Another uh, bad guy runs around. He rolls Captain Kirk style <laughs> out of the, the crash pad and shoots him. And I was like, that roll was entirely unnecessary. Why? The, it's not like the guy was like, oh, the guy's rounding the corner unaware. You could have went, there he is. Shoot. <laughs> Sans roll. 
just as efficient. I think well, I think what you're you're confusing this series with the Bond series. James Bond has a license to kill. These guys have a limited license to kill. They can only kill people if they do it awesomely. They're uh, not allowed to just kill anyone willy-nilly. Right. They have to do something cool first he was, before killing them. He's on the rooftop. He's about to turn around. He's like, I could shoot these guys, but then it wouldn't count. I better jump off backwards. <laughs> exactly. That's how it works. That's So then super awesome agent guy that we've just set up into. I thought it was literally going to be like, uh, I forget which Bond movie with Pierce Brosnan. Starts off with him, like he finds... Money penny dead, and he starts shooting people around the office and stuff. And then they're like, "Oh, it was a training program. It was all virtual reality." I literally thought this was a training exercise-like thing because of how cheesy it was starting off. He then walks around a corner, and there's a sexy woman in a trench coat walking the other way in this alleyway, which also just screamed back a lot. The alleyway to me, I was like, "Really? This is what we're cutting to, huh?" <laughs> so, and she then smiles at him and he goes, "Hi," you know, and he it's... smiles back and like winks, and I'm like. Is, is, is he going to seduce her now and, you know, straighten his tie? <laughs> She's pretty clearly a villain. Like, yeah. Like, oh, nowhere in history has anyone used a sexy woman as a spy. <laughs> like, I, I'm going to drop my guard around her in a back alley after I just got assaulted and stole documents. His cell phone goes off. He looks down at it. He looks, it literally says the word assassin with her picture <laughs> across it. And I went, oh my God. And I said, as a joke... In the theater, oh, spotted assassin. There's an app for that. I thought someone had texted him like, oh, That's this person's in the area. Here's a picture of her. And assassin was just their way of saying, hey, be on the lookout for this person. And he's like, oh, no, that's her. No, literally in the movie, we find out that he had a contact lens that identified her and texted him saying, by the way, this assassin's in front of you. Which is, which is the worst device because the reason he was killed is he was distracted by the phone notifying <laughs> him. He should have just been on his guard if he was in an empty alleyway while running from people trying to kill him, sees a random stranger, just to hand on the gun, yeah. at the very least. At the very least, uh, just old school spy <laughs> stuff. Not The tech was getting in the way there and was needlessly complicated. Which they didn't really, like, you could say maybe that was, like, the point, but they didn't harp on that right. and they didn't make that point at any other point in the film. Like, right, it's, just it's not sort like of weird. Ethan was better than that and said, oh, I don't use that crap because it'll get you killed. And then we go, oh, I remember, he's right. He's right. old school and good. No, it's just a kind of one-off ridiculous thing and this is how we start the movie. Yeah. So that really set the tone for me, so shocked me out of what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes into uh, the jailbreak. I liked the prison break sequence. I liked it did get kind of into kind of some of his Krav Maga like fighting, you know, handling a crowd, which almost felt uh, a bit like Batman esque because uh, the most re you know most he did recent keep hitting B over and over again. Exactly. <laughs> no, the most recent video game like it's fighting crowds, and that's how you kind of think of like oh, and the maybe I've had Batman on the brain because of the, <laughs> the trailer before movie uh we i saw it in imax so they had the 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 dark knight rises trailer yeah right so maybe i had that on the mind but i'm like wow he's crowd control fighting very well and it seemed technical and kind of realistic in a way that that's how you do it and he had the jokey part with simon Pegg about the cameras and trying to let him in and him waiting i think that was humor done right it was done yeah. well and it was something that they would actually do right and didn't sap the kind of reality or anything from the the situation he was still fighting, and there was... I do have a little quibble with that part, though, because I thought he was going in there to rescue the guard, and I was like, while the prisoners were, were like beating up the guys, because I was like, there's always these uh, extras that are, you know... Red shirts. Yeah, exactly. And and you 
if you don't, if you just sort of check your brain out, you don't notice. But every once in a while, you'll be like, oh, man, like, that guy has a kid and family, and now those prisoners are going to, like, anally rape him they with his own nightstick. They were in his skull with a nightstick. Yeah. I'm like, that man is dead. And then, or brain dead. And then Tom Cruise, you know, wants to go in there, and I was like, oh, he's going to rescue the guy, and, like, we're going to show that he's a good guy. No, he lets the prison, he lets the prison guard get beaten up, and then uh, proceeds to break out another prisoner, which, granted, is... The guy was apparently a, a nice guy or something. Well, he gave but him then, so that guy was going to die. Right, and then but continues to allow uh, several guards to get beaten during this prison riot, and then actually encourages Simon Pegg to release more prisoners to increase the scale of this riot, and more innocent people will get killed. Yeah, that part... <laughs> Not balanced between, like, oh, it's realistic and fighting and a lot of things, but then parts like that where he's like, oh, he the Russian guy would have gotten killed. I'm like, you... A lot of other people died because of you just now, in reality. But that's, I think, my main problem uh, with the movie is that it wears that line between the realistic parts and then the just 1970s level of James Bond parts or things where it's like, oh, no one Yeah, I mean, really there, there's a certain amount of, you want it to be fun, but there's also, like, disturbing in its unrealism. And, and, they, and then there's... You, you can no longer take this movie seriously. Right. And it switches gears too quickly because there's the prison bake. I started to have hope again. I was like, oh, forget that pre... The, Tom Cruise wasn't even in those scenes that were before. I honestly friends. didn't take them to be... I mean, they were not realistic. But I was like, ah, they're having fun. So I, I was not yet at the point of this was not good. Right. but Just so, based on, on uh, Sawyer from Lost shooting some people. Right. The The... Fight in the prison brought it back a little bit, but then instantly they got rid of that. With uh, they're going, he needs to get to an extraction point where they're going to break him out. And it's like we see her, uh, the female agent who I assumed was Paula Patton. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was Zoe Saldana. I'm sorry, from Avatar and Columbiana. And I was like, oh yeah, that's her through the entire movie until the credits. And I'm like, oh, I mean, I guess I haven't seen her really close, aside from you know, except in kitty cat makeup for, you know <laughs> with the 3d avatar so this isn't her i was like i don't recognize this lady um yeah the whole time i was wondering why in all the billboards she's in front of simon Pegg, and i was like who is this actress who could she possibly be that she rates higher uh turns out she's in a lot of tyler perry movies well she's in jumping the broom and uh some other ones that yeah might have gotten like larger box office than simon Pegg's things she was also in the only thing i recognized her from after reading credits was Deja Vu with, uh, with Denzel Washington. Yeah. And that was a good movie, but I didn't think she warranted over Simon, Simon Pegg. Yeah, but uh, yeah, a lot of the, those Tyler Perry movies, there's, a, there's an audience that they are trying to bring into Mission Impossible that is not us, because we're already going to Mission Impossible. Right. <laughs> so she's setting up charges in the sewer, and they're like, oh, they get to this room that they can't get out of, and it's like, oh, wait. She sets up what looks like a thermonuclear microwave <laughs> device or something that melts a hole in the floor <laughs> or removes bricks using a quantum theory or something. And I'm like, it's a 16th century sewer. Just poke those bricks with a stick or you have explosives. Like, it got, again, needlessly complicated with unrealistic technology. And then she shoots a grappling hook up into the thing. Nearly and killing someone. Yeah. And I'm like, it's a 12-foot drop. What? What happened to ropes or dangle the guy down and jump? Like, th later in the movie, they're, they're jumping off, you know, hundred of foot drops and things without problem. And yet you need to bring a grappling hook shooter and clips and lines. And it just didn't make sense. And it went back towards, like, 
unrealistic kind of just... Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like the point was to show that Tom Cruise knew what he was doing and this Russian guy didn't, but I was like, eh, you could have just crawled out of the hole, dangled, you know, by your fingers, and then dropped the extra five feet or whatever yeah. it was. Like, Or it was... throw up a rope and have him tighten in an overly elaborate fashion that shows <laughs> that, oh yeah, I know some stuff that maybe shows I'm not Sergei. Yeah. yeah. Because there's no way Sergey could know a yeah. square knot. <laughs> right, yeah, free climbing and things out of his league. Uh, so then it leads directly into the title sequence. She, He says, light the fuse. She sparks a match. Even though, again, they bring a thermonuclear <laughs> sewer melter. They have a actual, like, cannon fuse. And I realize it's just to get into the title sequence and to bring in the, you know, theme element from yeah. the t dating back to the TV show. And yet, switching gears so rapidly again to me, was just overly cheesy. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually sort of liked... it. Was, I think it's the first time, maybe they did it the other movies, where they diegetically lit a fuse as opposed to just outside of the world of the film there's a credit sequence. Right. And I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of neat. And then the credits go on and they show, like, it was a clip reel of the entire yeah, movie. it was an overture of, here are things to come, <laughs> we're gonna go underwater at some point, and then there's a missile... I was like, I saw the trailer, like, this is, I'm already here. You don't I, need another trailer within the film. I actually saw new content that I didn't see in the trailer. <laughs> you see an ICBM launching out of water. You see, like, I was like, no, I knew Burj Dubai was in there, but where's this uh, submarine warfare and now apparently tactical nuclear strike? Apparently that's in the movie. Yeah. So it was giving away things that I did not know. And again, starting diegetically with the fuse, then it's even more jarring to jump out and be like, Wait, this is zooming up the sewer, and now we're seeing Jeremy Renner coming, like, or sequences. Oh, we're no longer in the world. Now yeah. we're non diegetic Like, it was not a smooth transition. It was very weird. Well, actually, I would argue it's too smooth of a transition, because okay. I was like, what is going yeah. on? Like, is this in the sewer? Yeah, I was like, the, uh, there's an office upstairs and people are fighting? <laughs> like, this is exciting apartment complex or whatever above the prison. <laughs> it was very confusing. It didn't... And then the music started, and... This is very, probably very close to, other than, than the Bond theme itself, the most recognizable, sort of, m most sort of perfectly done theme song. Yeah. Like, you don't, you know, four, dun, 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 four notes, <laughs> and you know what it is. Right. And somehow, like, I like Michael Giancino's music. He did The Incredibles. He, he well, did uh, a million other, I, I can't yeah. name them all. Uh, a lot of things, and I love his music, but somehow, he's like, here's a theme song that already exists. I'm going to Gene Kino it up. There you go. And I'm going to put my mark. He adds, I mean, I mean, literally, like, the song, what's great about it is that there's four notes. He somehow adds, like, 15 notes in between yeah. those. And I'm like, has he started playing the theme? Or is he, like, ramping up to it? And then he sort of goes off into some other thing. And I'm like, there's no point when you just hear the pure Mission Impossible theme. It's right. very strange. And he sort of, uh, it was weird. He did a similar thing in Star Trek. Because uh, he did the music for that, right. J.J. Abrams and all that stuff. What they did was, they just didn't have the Star Trek theme uh, for the entire film. They were like, we haven't gotten to that yet, because yeah. the Enterprise doesn't exist and the crew isn't together. Then at the end of Star Trek, they just played straight up the theme from the, the movies and the TV show. And I was yeah. like, that's oh, classy and good. Good way of handling They In the credits of this, no, they still no. did their fucked up weird version of Mission Impossible. Yeah, I think uh, it's funny that you brought up The Incredibles and, you know, and Star Trek, because I was thinking, like, Simon Pegg stuck out in Star Trek when I first saw them cast him as Scotty. J.J. Abrams did the third Mission Impossible, now Simon Pegg's in this one. 
kind of stuck out a little jokey, but the movie was way cornier than him. So, and then uh, the you we're talking about The Incredibles, and I know Brad Bird directed this and brought Giancarlo with him and everything, but that opening sequence reminded me of The Incredibles doing it. They're like, oh, here's what 60s, you know, like spy movies would do. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek because it's animated, and you're like, you know what? That is so pitch perfect for The Incredibles and for this and to, like, set the world and everything that this reminded me of it, but in a bad way because we were vacillating so wildly between realistic, you know... What's crazy, The Incredibles is one of my favorite movies, yeah. period. And what's crazy about it is that, yes, it's a cartoon, but... Uh, I, the the stakes and sort of the realism of like their marriage is falling apart, yeah. and there's a there's a little speech that she gives to the kids. Are like they're going to shoot you, and you're going to die. Yeah. So be careful of that. And like there are people who are there are points when you're like, are they actually going to kill a child? Because yeah. every once in a while they do that sure. in a Disney movie. Uh, like yeah, and there's nothing close to that in this film. Right. N at no point did I really think anybody. Uh, I mean, certainly not Tom Cruise. Well, I was going to say, arguably, Tom Cruise is more of a cartoon character than <laughs> the Incredibles, so you wouldn't have believed it if they tried. Yeah. Uh, well, I will say, going back to the third one, I, because it was the third one, and because J.J. Right. Evans was directing and he loves doing twists, there's the point where, like, the, the like bomb is about to go off in his brain and his girlfriend has to, like, knock him unconscious or something and then revive him with, right. a, with a defibrillator Shrug type thing. Yeah. And it doesn't work. And I was like, it was the end of the movie. And I was like, are they are they actually going to kill Tom Cruise and just say, there's three movies, this is the last one, and we're not telling anybody, you know, and just that. I, I thought maybe he was going to die. And, yeah. and that was a really long ways to go. This one, at no point was I like, eh. Right. He was punching people and yep. driving cars down oh. three floors and... Yeah. yeah, I think Mission Impossible 2, again, from the opening, I felt like it's him and Thandie Newton in a car chase scene <laughs> on, like, the Alps or something, and they skidding towards the edge, I'm like, it's the opening of the movie, he's Tom Cruise, there's no danger here, there's no actual feeling of any kind of danger throughout the movie, really, and that's one of the things, many things wrong with the second one. The third one, I agree, got towards the realism, got towards you actually believed something could happen to him, um, higher stakes and the actual feeling tension. This one never even tried for those kind of scenes. You know, like him climbing the side of the Burj Khalifa was thrilling and all, but you're like, he's... Yeah, I, I think I managed to forget for just a little bit because it was, because of the, we saw it in the IMAX. We had the, yeah. the giant sweeping views. I mean, I got dizzy. Like some the of the like... The scope and the scale were there. Yeah. It was And so when, when he slips and he, uh, and, he's, and he catches himself with one hand, you're like, wow, that he almost... Fell yeah. like like it was it was and you probably if you really stopped to analyze it you'd be like obviously he can't well, die at this point in I'll, the film. I will but. give this movie even if it doesn't have maybe the risk or the the result of death that you think you're gonna get. They did have the amount of impact. You felt that he could get hurt. That yeah. he, there were consequences uh, that maybe didn't feel that way or didn't feel that way like in Bond movies from the seventies or you know. With the more recent Bond movies have really rebooted with Daniel Craig into a gritty realism to where he bleeds, he gets hurt, you know, and things like that. And that is, again, how I thought this movie was going to be. It wasn't quite to that level, uh, but from the beginning where he's actually, uh, not from the beginning, from when he's in the hospital trying to escape in Russia, he's out on the ledge and, you know, he's trying to get away. And normally you're like, just jump into that dumpster. He's scared of it. 
He's like, this is going to hurt a lot. Yeah, that was a weird, like, this is a realistic, like, this, I, it seemed similar to the Bourne movie. Right. There's the point where he climbs down the wall, and instead of just jumping off the building, like, Bourne, it takes, like, five minutes right. of street down or something ridiculous. And so, yeah, when he looks down, you're like, ah, he's going to jump in the dumpster. Wait, that's actually a terrible idea. And they, they give you enough time to think, oh, it's full of needles and broken glass, and right. there's it's a straight cat in there. Or, you know, yeah. <laughs> bricks and they're like yeah dumpsters are not full of stuff things who would ever think this is a good idea so there are points in it but again the risk of death i don't think is ever one of them yeah the points are so it's so sporadic and then they instantly go back to something where he jumps off a building and you know yeah uh, you he does something fantastical and you're like which are you trying to be is really what wasn't clear in this movie it it did not feel like uh Brad Bird was in control of this film. It, it sort of was all over the place. Maybe just working with real-life actors, you know. I mean, I think with the emotions and things you pull through in, like, The Incredibles or, like, animated things, you can go back and put some more expression in the eyes or things. Where right. You have to work with the actors before you shoot it <laughs> to get those kind of things. Yeah. But, yeah, that really was uh, that kind of schizophrenia, the mixed tone, what I felt was so mixed about it after again like the prison break for good or bad with the small uh you know problems i had once we get out of the title sequence they go back into what should have been bread and butter like mission impossible time he goes to like check in on a payphone and actually something that struck me and in this that they have no control over is that the famous message of your mission should you choose to accept it uh they lay out you have to break into the kremlin it's going to be this impossible thing impossible mission uh and I, it struck me as like should you choose to accept it i would have liked him to go no pass what's the next one come on next that sounds hard <laughs> not accepting like and then they did the little joke of the phone not self-destructing so kind of they referenced the original tv show and the corniness and some of it and then had a little twist on it he has to go hit the payphone for it to actually destruct then they go to break into the kremlin that's pretty, like, you know, getting back into the, the steps of, or the... Yeah, that, I mean, that seems sort of the right tone. It was, Simon Pegg is sort of a little manic, but it's, it's you know, they're doing the spy stuff. Right. They're back on track. They're going to do the masks. And Simon Pegg also does a little bit of the calling out, like, cool, masks. I wish it would have gotten full mask, you know. And he almost seems like a fanboy of the original movies, you right. know, that's now getting involved or something, where, you know, Ethan Hunt is this legend, and he's like, I'm glad to be here with you. They go through the Kremlin security, and I think I was struck by uh, thinking, being reminded of The Saint, the Val Kilmer movie from the, the early 90s or mid-90s, which, again, straddle line between cheesy and, you know, spy-like in a period piece for the 90s and stuff, but I think it had a complete tone, which would look cheesy compared to a lot of other movies and things, but at least was its own encapsulated-like tone. Right. Uh, where he put on disguises and you're like, well, it's kind of cheesy, but it, it would work in the situation. He looks like a different person. And that kind of felt like this, where he's, Tom Cruise just has a different nose. They're going into the Kremlin and past security, and there's a little back and forth. Once they get in the hallway, it felt again like Mission Impossible 1 with the party that they start off the movie in or where their mission is. And then there are small parts like, I actually noticed Michael Nyquist uh, from Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, uh, in the hallway, like, when they walk through, and I knew from the trailers that somebody else blows up the Kremlin, like, while they're there, and they get framed for it, and it's just like the first one where there's a second team there, and they kind of, in the first one, do a 
flashback of they realize there's a second team and they think of the person, you know, looking at the girl in this. And right. I remember catching those parts and being like, why did that extra look at the girl? And then them standing out and then going like, oh, those were the keys. And they flash back on them. In this one, you see, I saw Michael Nyquist was waiting for an elevator as soon as Tom Cruise and Simon Pegg walk and he turns the right and goes, oh my God, that's going to be one of those things they're going to flash back on. And they don't really, they... He, he, he mentions that he, he saw He mentions, because he walks by and says hello or something in the end. Like, they do a cool little thing with the expandable projection screen thing yeah. to make the hallway move, which reminded me actually of Toys, I think, with Robin Williams. They did a very similar uh, thing. They had they were going to infiltrate the bad guy, you know, now militarized toy area, and they build an actual flat, like, out of wood and put it in the wall, like, hallway, and then are pushing it, uh, I think. And it was kind of interesting for how it looked in the film and the technology was not over the top or unnecessary enough because it served a purpose. Oh, you're, you're, talking, you're back to Mission Impossible. Right? Sorry. But yes. the technology of a wooden flat. Right. No, in toys, it was humorous because that's what they were going for. In this movie, it was, you know, fantastical, but within the realm of, hey, maybe that works. They have an iPad hooked up to right. it. At first, I was like, how are they going to account for parallax if he moves? And then the little camera moves. I was like, oh, they thought of that. Right. And so they at least... Gave lip service to those kind of questions, and I, yeah. I even thought, what happens when a second person comes and in? And then it becomes a, uh, a plot point. Yeah, yeah, and it's so all valid. Although you'd think that so whoever built this amazing device would have accounted for that. Like, what do you do? Do you just go for the average of the two of them, or something? Yeah. Like something other than freaking out yeah. and crashing. <laughs> like one of the first bugs you would test. <laughs> what happens is like. I'm sure the the Microsoft Connect would have handled this situation better, but actually, uh, it doesn't. Okay. <laughs> From my understanding, it's pretty terrible when you have two people in front of it. But even for that, they get into the vault that they're trying to break into the archives, and he looks, and there are like eight millimeter film reels that are gone. And I'm like, they were gonna like look for a record of who this covert agent Cobalt was, the military or you know nuclear, right. smart guy that had you know. I honestly. Did not put together what they were looking for. Yeah, I was no. like, ah, microfilm, that's fine. It was <laughs> good enough for me. It was like thrown away in one line. Like, oh, there's a there's a nuclear person, codenamed Cobalt, who the Kremlin has dealt with, and he's gonna want to erase his tracks. So you have to get there. And I, really, a that one throwaway line, I kind of missed it almost. And then went, oh yeah, there's the this is the bad guy, and he's trying to erase his tracks in the Kremlin. But it always strikes me in these movies as it's going to erase his tracks. You get there, and he will be. Five minutes ahead or behind you. Like, no matter what movie you're in, you're like, what would his next move be? Well, maybe. Uh, I'm just spitballing here. And let's go there. And it just so happens he's there on the same day within, you know, you right. pass him in the hallways. I'll wait. But I guess with him trying to frame them, he clearly is a brilliant, they later say, uh, they later, first off, they're like, who would he be? And then he kind of sees him and says, wait, who is this man? You know, draws a rough picture for him. And Jeremy Renner says, Oh, well, there's, like, the most brilliant uh, nuclear physicist theorist ever. He's also insane and says he wants to kill the world. Could that be this guy? <laughs> like, why did you even need to go to the Kremlin? Just, if you know what that guy's M.O. is and he's just hanging out, like, why didn't you already have someone shadowing him? Yeah. So, they go there, whatever. He identifies it, like... They get out of the Kremlin, the, the 8 millimeter film is gone or whatever, and you're, at first I was like, really? There's this technology, and then the only way they identify it, I'm like, I guess it's Cold War, it's the Kremlin's yeah, tech, not theirs. So, But I'm like, they didn't ever assign one someone to say, you know what, go through all that stuff from the 50s, and just write it down. 
like on a piece of paper, and then someone will type it into a computer. They have computers there, you know? So the fact that the only evidence of its existence or working with the Kremlin or whatever was film rules, like, kind of fridge logic. So then he blows their cover, you know, and frames them for blowing up the Kremlin. Tom Cruise passes him on the way out, nods at him, and then he, uh, you know, kind of makes his way through, you know, the, oh, it blows up, he's in the hospital, we've talked well, about Well, again, when, he, when it starts to blow up, the ground shakes, yeah. he looks around, he realizes that the Kremlin's about to explode, does he warn anybody? Does he say, everybody get out? No, he just he, runs, he's like, fuck you guys, I can run faster than you. And he, I want to say, he had like three seconds, and... People's he didn't even animal attempt. instinct should think, huh, a large rumble came from over there. But, I mean, so, so he wasn't, think, like, grabbing children and covering I'm them. I'm not saying that, like, he meant... He, just the first few... If he said, everybody get, and then it exploded, like, I would have been fine with that. Like, no mention to anyone else at all. It right. It sort of bothered me. He does spot uh, the Michael Nyquist, you know, getting away, and I think is starting to put it there. Uh, at least that he's the bad guy, but yeah, yeah. Uh, he, I think, comes across as self-preserving a lot in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but so he's running away. He wakes up in a hospital, and the Russian secret police guy is there to say you. And I even thought when he's in the hospital, I'm like you did have. If they go to examine you, they're going to notice he has a coat that turns yeah. inside out to be a general's or whatever. And I'm like, they're going to spot that during a physical exam of an unconscious yeah. guy. So they have the cop there. I'm like, oh, you even found the coat. Good. Good yeah, no, I thought that was a valid, uh, that was a good, like, plot point that you, you didn't know was a setup, and then right. it turns out. And yet, then the next beat, I went, where are the guards around him? <laughs> like, he's in a hallway. I realize it's a, you know, trauma center, and maybe Russia's not, like, cutting edge or anything, so they're just going to stick people in a hallway. I still feel like the head... That's... Also, I think uh, a lot of people, they, they right, were injured, and yeah. so they didn't have... And, and yet... I would think the head cop of their secret police or whatever would have brought, like, three guys with him. You know, like, to stand next to the clear terrorist that we just captured who blew up the Kremlin. No, literally, the detective-level guy is the only one standing there with him. He's got handcuffs on. Don't worry. Well, they said something about uh, they were... Uh, this doesn't cover it completely. Like, it is... They're, they're trying to cover it up. They're trying to say it's just a gas explosion. But, like, right, they had that guy coming to watch Tom Cruise have two other plainclothes guys pretending they were looking at sick relatives, but are actually armed and waiting for right. Tom Cruise. And then he steps in the hallway to talk to his lieutenant, where Tom Cruise reads his lips, which we set up in the third one. I liked the part in the third one where he reads lips with Billy Crudup, who slips in the right. knife or whatever. Well, they set, the third one, There was a, it was actually really lame. You probably he don't said, recall. At the beginning lips. of the film, he his wife, is, or his fiance at that point, is talking with someone, and he reads their lips to see what they're talking about. They're talking about how great he is. And I'm like, you're essentially eavesdropping on her conversation. Like, that's not a back good the, thing for a person to do. Back to the dick angle. And then also, just as I was watching, I was like, he's going to read somebody's lips at some right. point, and it's going to be a plot thing, which it did, eventually. Yeah. So, but now it's it's an ability he has. Right, so it's in his bag of tricks, but he, apparently he can do it in Russian. Because I'm like, are they going to start talking English so we can read his li their lips? Nope. I'm going to go ahead and say it's like sign language or something to where, you know, they do it differently. Their lips move, you know, like, even right. if you speak Russian fluently enough to get by as a secret agent or anything, or pass as a general, reading lips is a skill you learned for English, I'm going to say. Like, you would have to do a whole new course right. on well, reading lips in Russian. So, uh, I'm not entirely sure how accurate reading lips is. And right. I don't know if you could actually make out every single word. Like, there's a lot of, like, context clues and stuff. Yeah. So it 
was not and they're overly and bad. He's looking at them. I love how they're sitting in profile. Yeah. And so they, you could read both of them. So he's getting half of each person's lips. It's not like they're looking at him, yeah. and he's still making it out. Not the, the least believable thing ever. <laughs> but still, the fact that they, the, we caught the terrorists who blew up the Kremlin, send three plainclothes guys, and then step out of the room with him. Like, these are the worst police ever. And the, maybe that's how they run over in Russia. But uh, he was able to get out of his handcuffs and outside. And again, we just brought it up previously. I actually liked when he gets outside, and he's like, uh... They do a little shot of him on the ledge, and they show around the corner, and the ledge is actually broken away on the other side. That's why he's stuck there. I thought that was a little unnecessary, because I'm like, just say there's no molding or something. But he's looking and pondering, like we talked about, the jump, and I'm like, this is actually pretty good. Maybe he's going to go back inside. And we're like, ah, that, that didn't work out the way I wanted. You know, and it would be realistic right. and kind of poking fun at the rest of the movie or the other ones. But then he ultimately comes up with a solution. We sees the van, jumps down, and I'm like, and even when he landed on the van, I'm like, are they going to have him, like, land, turn I, around, salute, and, like... I thought it was corner? going to be Simon Pegg in the van and everything. Oh, and I thought it was going to... I'm like, are they going to go back to Cheesy now, where he's going to get away and give a little smirk? And they didn't. He actually falls off it, and it looks like it hurts, and the guy driving the van... And he sort of away, freaks yeah. out. Yeah. So I'm like, again, we set up that there are consequences for him. He's not infallible. So it these things actually hurt. And it's realistic. Yes, he's you know, skilled in free climbing or base jumping and everything he would need for these. But guess what? It's going to hurt. He's going to, he may screw something up and could, uh, you know, face some consequences. Yeah, it, it goes back and forth like that very schizophrenically. Like they're, uh, they're in the car with the secretary. They never say secretary of what, which kept bothering well, me. At some point he mentions the defense department, but like nobody says secretary of defense. Right. It's like who is in charge of the IMF? What department are they in? Well, the, uh, and the other question I have about the secretary that throughout the series is why is it a different guy every goddamn movie? Like, why it, it's in the se in the second one it's it's Hannibal Lecter, in the third one it's Morpheus, uh, Morpheus. Yeah. and this one it's um, I can't think of another movie. I know he was in the Debt, but his character's name was not Debt, so that doesn't help right. me with this joke. <laughs> yeah, I think that Tom Wilkinson showing up as the secretary was. Uh, fun in a way of it being a different person each time. They kind of did that with Bond movies or... No, Bond's the opposite. M is M and ever... Judy Dench. Judy Dench survived from the reboot yeah, to like right. somehow M is just older in the reboot. Right, but the original uh, Bond movies that like Felix Leiter like changes every time. Does He's it? a black guy in one of the Roger Moore movies. They didn't even acknowledge it. Like, live and let die. He shows up and it's like, oh, Felix. I'm like, what, what, behind them? <laughs> like, so, I mean, there's kind of a history for it, but uh, Tom Wilkinson showing up, you know. Yeah, and he's in the one scene and he gets killed. And that, again, that scene, super, like, Realistic. gritty. Yeah. Uh, like, the car crash is tough. And I they, thought the car like... crash was great. There was a shot from the back of the car as it's rotating into the river where you see Tom Cruise kind of fixed, you know, move, fall in slow motion, but you can see the river through the windshield. I'm like, oh, crap, this is going to hurt. Again, that level of impact that the movie has. And then he does something clever with the body, and and he and he says to Jeremy Renner, he's like, they're not thinking clearly; they're just shooting things. Yeah, that was a fun lesson. I think under the water, I flash back to Bond because uh, for your eyes only, our view to a kill had a car goes into the water, and he actually goes over to the, the tide. Like they're waiting to shoot him on top of the water, 
and he goes over to the tire and releases air and stays under there for like 15 minutes till they get tired and go home. Like, <laughs> that reminded me, I'm like, what clever thing is he going to do? You can breathe yeah. from the tire, but that's been done. But And they're just shooting forever. The amount they're shooting, I was like, nope, like still no. And I thought he was good. I literally, they went on for so long, I literally thought he was going to wait till they reloaded at the same time <laughs> and swim. I, I am out. Call someone to bring a van with more ammo. Uh, and also, I was like, I realize we're in Russia, but... They're like apartments back there. Like, <laughs> I realize they, they these guys are maybe secret police or whatever it is. Like so. Well, at that point, were they the terrorists? No, because the the cop, the detective from oh, the hospital, was, shows up so and they tells them to stop shooting. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, but still, people in the houses there will be concerned. Uh, Eventually, the guy shows up and is like, "Hey, guys, stop shooting." That's overkill. Uh, but the funny part about him. Jeremy Renner trying to analyze it because they set him up as, you know, an analyst. They use that word and you're like, oh, nerd. And then the next scene, he's like shaking and in shock. And he's like, why did that work? And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, they, why would they think to shoot at the flare? Like someone, and he's kind of calling into question some of the things that maybe even the movie, you know, assumes. And Tom Cruise, it shows their difference in characters. He's like, it just did. They're, he's talking about more of their animal instincts and reactions, whereas he's talking about like, psycholo you know, Jeremy Renner's trying to psychoanalyze the situation. Yeah, or analyze it logically. Like, yeah, yes. and I thought this was a hilarious thing to be like, is he like outside of the world of film? Does he not know what happens? <laughs> you know, he he he's working for the secretary of the IMF. He doesn't see the field reports of jumping off the building, shooting backwards, <laughs> and then having the the expandable bag in your. I would jacket. love to see like, these reports. Yeah. By the way, I, I uh, exited the building via the second floor window, discharged my weapon seven times. Yeah, seven times in the zero point eight seconds it takes to fall. The distance, and he's like, yes, yes, okay. As an analyst. <laughs> Deployed by, by human-sized airbag. Standard issue. Like, so, the fact that he's bringing in this really logical perspective, I'm like, does he not know? And, like, for a second, I had an epiphany. I'm like, what if, like, Tom Cruise, like, the end of the movie, they're going to say, he's got a magic bubble around it that remakes reality. And he always assumes it's fine, and this is how things operate. But there's an outside world that Jeremy Renner's coming from, where he's like, like, uh, last action hero or something, yeah. you know, where... Like, why did that work? And he's like, what are you talking about? Things always work for, for me that way. And, you know, there's always a clean shirt in the closet. <laughs> and like, so, and it becomes very Truman Show-like experience. <laughs> it was a flash of... It's, it's, I did, they didn't go that way, and it would have been weird, too. But <laughs> Jeremy Renner seemed like he was outside of the world of film at that point. Uh, they make it to the train that the secretary told them about to try and, like, clear their name and things. Then they kind of say, like... We are so blown. I'm like, you're blown every movie. Like, you're framed for something. You have to go rogue. Like, why is this all of a sudden? Like, the secretary the being dead. The title of the movie is now good. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the... I don't know if the... I, I literally remember so little of the second one. Does that happen in the second one? Mm, there, it's so chopped up that yeah. there is a part where... But there was a... The, I think, no. They He is running the game in Australia. Like, I don't even remember... Um, uh, who is calling the shots or his contact was from the second one like higher up I think he's part of like yeah well so there's the the first one that was the plot of the film yeah. the third one it was a, it was like a twist like a mid-act twist yeah. and, and that was sort of fine and the, the, this one again it's, it is the entire plot of the film and so it's it's like what do you this isn't it's not new to you yeah it's not new to you it's not new to us it's more they up this the stakes, I think, a bit be for the, um, you know, it being the nuclear destruction and annihilation, yeah. kind of the uh, X-Men first class level of bad guy uh, yeah. motivation. But then, again, they get back to, like, we've got to uh, catch this guy. They have 
film clips that they can YouTube of this guy saying, I want to kill the whole world with <laughs> nuclear weapons because I think it'd be interesting. And you're like, again, you had to, like, several people had to die to figure out who he was. They had to blow out the Kremlin to, like, figure it out. And I'm like, it was on YouTube <laughs> all this time. So if, and then, uh, again, f jumping forward to some of the fridge logic is at the end of the movie, he, he uh, says why he was in the Russian prison and everything, and they had to break him out because they were like, oh, this backstory sideline of, like, he killed Serbians, he did an unsanctioned hit, and this was punishment. They left him hanging to dry in a Russian prison. No, he says that I was planted there because we thought Kendrick had men in there. He knew his name and that he was a threat before the movie started. This was his mission the whole time. Well, I think he's saying, in retrospect, we know it's Kendrick. He might have thought that it was codename. All right. He Possibly. used the word Kendrick. He, yeah. Well, I know, but it's because he knows now that it's Right. Kendrick. So maybe they thought Cobalt had Yeah, but I mean, there. it's but still I weird. But I still went, what? Why did you even go to the Kremlin? Yeah. So... The, so he's just been working on this cobalt guy for, for years, years apparently. Yeah, which seems like long view enough that okay, then you know they pulled some strings and they put Jeremy Renner in a situation to verify the identity of you know his wife going being dead and everything, so that he could do this mission. But yeah, yeah. All, but I think sort of part of the what's supposed to be bigger about this one than the previous ones is that the entire IMF is disavowed. Yeah. They never go and talk to anybody else. They never. I mean, like. In the very first one, they meet Ving Rhames because he is not part of IMF. He's on the outs, right. Yeah, so clearly they have some means of contacting people who have been kicked out of IMF. Well, they did that a bit in this because he went through his Russian friend that he... But that was the Russian friend that, right. from the beginning of the film, like, there was no other IMF agents. Right. I, I agree that in the, the previous ones, it's their cell that's on the outs and the rest of the IMF is out to get them, or you can't call them and they're not friendly anymore. Whereas this one, they don't exist anymore. They might have bullets in the back of their heads, you know, for all we know. Like, but, yeah, I mean, that doesn't actually... I didn't see any of it. I didn't yeah. feel any of it. it. It felt exactly the same. And I think, actually, leading up to the uh, going to Dubai, they do all these scenes in the Burj Khalifa and uh, things. I think that's actually what this movie brought. The one thing that it you know, brought to the series, or, yeah, series, uh, is that it upped the scope. Like, previous ones, yes, their, their unit was on the outs. This time, the whole thing and the secretary's dead. You know, in the previous ones, it's like, oh, we've got to stop uh, a nuclear uh, chemical weapon that's very bad or something. This one was nuclear global destruction. You know, the other one, oh, he's got a free jump from, you know, something. Yeah, yeah. He's on the top of a bullet train or something. This one, they went to the tallest building in the world. And had, you know, and then so it felt like they just kind of upped the stakes a lot on yeah. the threat level or the tension. What he's climbing is taller, the tallest. In fact. <laughs> so that was exciting. And they did a little inception-y hotel room switching uh, with the... Uh, yeah. th that was intriguing to where they... Changed. Which they had... It, part of the weird thing about the technology in this movie... Like, I think part of, like, they were cut off was not all of their stuff works. Right. Like, the gloves don't function properly. Yeah. The magnetic thing doesn't work all Mask the time. maker. But they have a device that Laser has... etching. The only purpose is to relabel hotel room numbers that are this exact shape yeah, that they used in the Burj Dubai. Right. Like, why do you have that device? Well, yeah, I was literally... And they have two of them. Literally, with the overcomplicating back to the prison where they, they melt the floor, it's like where a rope would work and, you know, a grenade. This one, I'm like, get a knife and pop the number off this door. 
walk over there and glue it on that door. It will take less time. Well, uh, other than that, I felt like the Burj Khalifa stuff was interesting. And there, were, there was parts where he he screwed and like the glove thing, like that's a a, a thing malfunctioning. But like when he does the like swing and he's going to jump in the window, like he just slams face first yeah. into the floor above them and almost falls. And I'm like he, and I think there's a couple of other points in the movie where he is jumping from something to something and doesn't quite hit the yeah. way he intended. And that and and uh, like I like that it's he screws up a little bit. Yeah, they're tarnishing it a little bit, and they even had the joke of, you know, you, you mentioned like uh, he's seen Die Hard. Apparently, he throws the oh yeah the fire hose fire hose out there, and then it's too short. And Jeremy Renner points it out, and Tom Cruise said, "No shit," and it's like an acknowledgement and a shut up guy. Like I'm trying <laughs> here, so it's a little bit more human. Uh, and then he biffs the landing, and they have to grab him. Right. Uh, which was, again, for the scope and scale, when they take that window away in IMAX, was very tense. Uh, so they get him up there, and then Simon Pegg has to diffuse it with humor by joking that, oh, that was really hard to change the numbers. On yeah, yeah. I mean, but I mean, that's sort of d diffusing the tension. Like, that, yeah. I accept that joke as a, like, that's a yeah. comedy relief, as opposed to taking away the... It's only comedy relief because the previous beat was actually dangerous, right? Versus taking away the danger of the yep. of the character the, from the characters. Everything in the hotel rooms, the buy, the them trying to buy stuff, I think went pretty well tone wise. There was still a level of tension. It was a weird thing where I expected the like the shots to match up exactly, and they didn't do that. Yeah. But they were close, and so I was like, you you either need to do sort of completely opposite sort of setup. Or you need to match shot for shot, and like as if it's one conversation, but right. like it's always held on talking to Tom Cruise. Have a reverse on her, and then cut you know, right. other people responding. Or they showed the dudes coming in the door, but it was not quite the same framing. Right. It was close to, but not exactly, and like it was all. I don't know. Again, it was like if Brad Bird was making the animated version of this, it would have been exact because they would have built the characters, the and, and everything would have existed correctly. Uh, it, and like when they go, when the camera goes from the first floor to the second floor, uh, like they're not in the same position. Right. I like, mean, eh, it's weird. a choice they maybe made, but it, maybe he would have rethought if he had the time. But I thought it was fine enough. They get the codes and are leaving, and then there's a big chase sequence as the sandstorm is coming in, uh, and. That was exciting enough. The sandstorm was a different element. I was actually, based on the, like, jokiness, and I think you actually mentioned this while we were watching it, um, not Zoe Zaldana, kicks the blonde girl out the window, and I did fully expect her to land next to Tom Cruise at as some point as he was running out out the front door. That would have been either too macabre or too tongue-in-cheek, <laughs> but I was glad they did almost because... Or there was a part where he walks, where he runs under like some sort of awning, and yeah. I was like, "Is it going to land on the awning?" Show her up there, but then <laughs> the whole chase sequence through the sand I thought was interesting, um, a little suspensiony disbelief because at some point they get in cars and uh, the bad guy's driving away and he hits Tom Cruise. I'm like, I would like the next shot to be him rammed into a building because he cannot even verify he's on a street. Like they were in a market and he's driving sixty miles an hour to hit Tom Cruise. And it should just crunch, you know, that would be the level of realism we kind of set up in this is that, you know what, things don't always work out the way you want them to. They recover and with a little bit of hurt. But uh, he ends up getting away and getting on the freeway and they're able to do kind of a high-speed chase with no visibility. It's tense, but I was like, it's not too realistic. Every other car would have been at a dead stop. Yeah, I wonder how, how people deal with sandstorms because they clearly had advance notice that yeah. they, you could see it 
coming a half hour ahead of time. So are, did this happen often enough that, like, I grew up in Michigan, and when it starts snowing, I just keep going, you know? And yeah. it, like, it doesn't affect me. So do the regular people that live there, just do they just drive around and just drive a little slower? I don't it know. It looks like, I mean, it looks like people were doing that, but I was like... There was a lot of people walking around. I was like, isn't it just uncomfortable? Wouldn't you want to go yeah. inside? But then again, you could say the same thing about during, during the snow. Like, isn't it uncomfortable? Well, I put on a hat. They cover up their faces. So I don't know. It was weird because I, I just don't know what is normal. Right. So it was awkward in that. It's but hard to judge. It, it, they used it enough for a car chase. And then he ultimately crashes his car into the other one in the big uh, shot from the trailer where he narrowly misses the flipping car. And then he's looking through it and the car is empty. And I was like, oh, the guy like scanned the papers and you know got the codes and ditched them so you've been tracking like he put a brick on the gas or something at that last quarter mile no they show the guy running away and i'm like really we established that people get hurt you just flipped in the air in a very severe crash and he and like tom cruise is slow you know just from jumping out of the car at which 60. the car that flipped was that the bad guy's that was car? the bad guy's okay car. i wasn't quite clear which yeah, car it was. came at Tom i Cruise, guess that makes sense and i was like that was a horrific crash. I realize they're showing all BMWs in this and probably playing up the, the safety features, apparently. Like, the number of airbags, I'm like, good ad for BMW. But the fact that he's able to, in the time it takes Tom Cruise to stand up and get over there, run away, I'm like, no. Yeah. Both of them should be out of it, but Tom Cruise less so because he just jumped out of a car doing 60. You know, not flipped and slammed into the ground, like... Not being hit with a car doing 60, in a car doing 70, you know, <laughs> first off. And then rocketed through there. The guy should have many broken bones and be nearly unconscious. And yet he's running away. Tom Cruise is chasing him in a shuffling step. And it's a slow race, but he jumps on a, on a uh, truck. And then during the struggle, when Tom Cruise, had, I guess Tom Cruise had been hit by a car earlier, but so he's a little slower. But he rips off part of the mask, and then he rips off the rest of the mask, and we see that it is the bad guy. And it's a weird thing, because it's... We knew that we knew that the guy we had seen was answering to yeah was uh, working for the, drag, the dragon tattoo guy, uh, Michael no, Nichols. No, yeah, yeah, like there, it's it not adds a reveal. Nothing. Yeah, that it was him personally. You're like, okay, he was going to get the codes anyway. Like we just eliminated the middleman. <laughs> he has them right now. And I was like, as soon as that guy left screen, I could have imagined. You know, like it was unnecessary, and then. Uh, it comes up again later because, the like, a few shots later, they say, oh, what are we going to do? They have the, the exchange with uh, Jeremy Renner saying he has a secret. And uh, that was the part where, you know, we thought, hey, this is the part where whose side is he on? Because in the trailers, he has a gun on Ethan. And they're like, you're not just an analyst. Uh, I would have, uh, by the way, I got that after, when they're heading to Dubai, he's clutching his bag in an analyst nerdy way and asking too many questions like, how are we going to do this? Uh... His forearms are huge, and I'm just like, you're in pretty good shape for an analyst. And he does other, you know, he, they get in a fight uh, earlier than, you know, that. Or they fight in the hotel room, and, you know, he takes down one of the guys while Tom Cruise is... I think that, that the fight in the hotel room was supposed to be the it's first. It's the first thing, but Tom Cruise actually looks at him, like, cross-eyed at the end of the fight when he's finishing the guy. The first thing he does when he stands up is take the guy's gun apart while it's still in his hand. That's where the shot for Tom Cruise going, what should have been, because he he's already fought for 20 minutes by the time, <laughs> the time Tom Cruise goes, wait a minute, 
Well, wasn't Tom Cruise busy with 15 million? He was, and yet he's badass enough that you would think he would have caught that. His group fighting skill should have been like, I have to protect the nerd, and then, you know, backing up towards him and been like, oh, actually, he's doing really well. That's odd. Uh, So It might also have been, uh, in fairness uh, to the the film, when you're in the middle of a fight scene, maybe they just didn't want to, for pacing reasons, didn't want to cut to Tom Cruise being... Raise eyebrows. Yeah. Uh, So I let it slide, but they take a while to get around to it where they're in the new safe house or whatever. Did they have another point when the two of them were together that they could have had that conversation? Um, they took a while. Yeah. No, because yeah. there's, the, there's the sand chase, which is right then. I would say buff arms time. <laughs> Riding in the thing. Be like, you're a good chick for an analyst. <laughs> there should have been hints if they're that good at their job. The reason I lied, by the way, is the case he did the eyebrow thing. But uh, can't see it in a video right. podcast. <laughs> so, uh, they move on, and then Tom Cruise calls someone, and I'm like, I'm, I was thinking, who could he be calling to? Because he said, will this person be in Dubai? Like, he does a phone call on the sly from the train, and then he does a second phone yeah, call. Yeah, that whole time I was like, eh, I'm supposed to wonder who this is, but I can't bring myself I to was like, the only other person that has slipped away in this movie is the Russian guy. It better <laughs> not be the Russian guy, because we don't know anyone else. It should be like a surprise you know, I did think maybe it was Ving Rhames right. because we hadn't seen him yet. He's in all of the movies. I seriously thought it might be Ving Rhames, but then I'm like, that's not a very good choice because his character that we have set up in the other movies does not seem like he has a lot of Middle Eastern experience. Like, yeah. not as a, he might have been to the Middle East as a commando or something, but not as an insider that would help them out. And, like, they need someone that's on the inside and has, like, oh, well, the thing about Dubai or the thing about this region or I can get you out. And I'm like, Ving Rhames' character doesn't add up for that. But it would have been better than the Russian, who we just left, you know, 30 right. minutes before. So he goes and talks to him, talks to an arms dealer. You know, it's kind of back to Mission Impossible 1, where he's got to use non-IMF people and things like that. So it works. And as we go through this, like, I kept waiting for, like you mentioned, that we thought from the trailer Jeremy Renner was a double agent or something. And he's not. Yeah. He was just sort of, you know, he had a bad experience, to, you know, no different than uh, the... They're similar to the the, the cop in Die Hard and, and a million other movies where it's like, I something went wrong and I can't draw my gun anymore. Actually, I was surprised. I thought that his position was a demotion, but the, maybe the secretary knew how good he was, so he brought him in out of the field because he was declassified, you know, no longer cleared for field work because he had screwed it up or he had killed someone that was innocent. Or, you know, I thought it was going to go level of darkness to where, no, he's badass. If he were still allowed in the field, he would be tearing it up and be Tom Cruise's replacement. And yet he says, I couldn't do it. I cracked under the pressure. I'm like, well, that's a little, little flimsier for your character. Yeah, yeah it was weird. So but I, so I kept waiting for, uh, based on the trailer, waiting for somebody to be a double agent. And that happens, again, don't remember the second one at all, but there's certainly double agents in the first one. There's the chick. And in the third one, it turns out uh, Dr. Manhattan is uh, a bad guy. Right. Um, and uh, spoilers for movies that are 10 years old. Uh, <laughs> and so in this one, there's no double agency yeah. anything at any point. No, everyone is a good guy and the everyone is a bad is, guy. There's no twist for that. But there was no, like, Tom, you'd think after at least four films of betrayals, you'd think that at some point he, he would just be a afraid yeah. of the like this has happened to him enough yeah. times like he should just have guns pointed at, at paula uh Payton. paula payton and simon Pegg the entire yeah. time maybe like, like you seem like screw up and lighthearted and everything but i still don't trust you and like he he draws he draws jeremy renner's gun jeremy renner steals the gun and then he steals another gun out of somewhere and jeremy, jeremy renner takes that gun and then you think tom cruise would be like shoot him in the head right now but no he's like 
Jeremy Renner says, tells his tale of woe, and Tom Cruise is like, okay. Oh, he wasn't even in the room for that. Tom Cruise had left. Oh, yeah. Well, why, did, why is Tom Cruise still okay with Jeremy Renner? Like, Oh, well, I took it as, like, I swore at the, again, spoilers for the ending, like, uh, jumping forward to the ending, I thought Tom Cruise was going to be like, yeah, I put you in this situation. Like, he says how he was there to protect Tom Cruise and his wife. Kind of added up, made sense, Jeremy Renner, but again, I wasn't as badass for his character to say, I couldn't do it anymore. I took myself out of the field and asked for a desk job, and it's like, oh, that's... Yeah, no, has he never been on a... I mean, I'm sure these things go wrong all the time. Like, is this just... It Was it his first mission and it went bad? Like, or the first time a mission went bad, he quit? Like, for, I, I don't want him out in the field if right. he's for him, a quitter. For him being lined up to take over for Tom Cruise, I think that kind of backstory, I was like, that's not a great lead-in. Yeah. Um, but, oh, with the gunplay you were talking about, where he takes away... I, in the trailer, thought, oh, wow, he's badass and he's one-upping Tom Cruise character. Like, he's the new young dog in town and he outdid Tom Cruise... That exchange, but I think within the context of the movie, Tom Cruise wasn't doing to try and get a gun on him. He was trying to do it to prove you're not an, just an analyst. So he's pulling guns and letting him take them away. Yeah. So in the end, he's like, he doesn't need to have. It's not like he was bested. He was demonstrating you can do this. Yeah. I honestly got the impression that Tom Cruise was moving a little slower than he had to, in right? Order to he was allow hold, Jerry he was holding back to so. take the gun. Right. No, and within the context of the movie, that comes across. The trailer didn't, and you think, oh, G he, Jeremy Ryder actually beat him. He's a double agent. He's a badass. But uh, the movie, I thought, I was that was a fun surprise for me to reverse the way I thought about the scene once I actually saw the context. Eh. <laughs> it's not overly fun. It's just a <laughs> so, they go to a Russian You're saying theater. trailers are occasionally not what? correct? Don't represent the movie accurately? I am shocked. They go to the arms dealer who reminded me of uh, Hagrid from all the Pierce Brosnan <laughs> movie uh, bonds. And yeah. I was like, oh, a Russian arms dealer that's going to help out. But he's really, he's got some lines he won't cross for like nuclear war. So that was a throwaway for the spy genre. Uh, then they go, he loans them a plane, the new equipment, and they bring Simon Pegg and them back. And it was a weird thing that they tried to play for like two minutes where he told them to go to hell. Like he's like, we did it, we tried it as a team. Now I'm going off on my own to talk to someone. I didn't tell really them. get the impression that he wasn't going to come back. It didn't like have time to sink in, or they didn't show them looking like, are we, you know, feeling betrayed or anything? Then he's like, well, I couldn't do it without you, and it's like he's trying to make up for it. I'm like, it was two minutes ago. <laughs> like, what? Why are you? It spiels apology. Like, no, that was not a thing. Yeah. And then he's got all this equipment and the plane, and they're like, where are we going? He's like, India, and they look surprised for some. They're like, wow, okay. I'm like, yeah, that was really strange. Dubai is more exotic than... I mean, not more... Maybe more exotic, but you just went to Dubai on a lark. Like, why is India resonating all of a sudden like... Yeah, I, I get the impression that they do this all the time. They were in Budapest and then India and Dubai. I'm like, eh. I mean, okay. I, I Like, it would have been a much more accurate reaction to just be like, okay. No, yeah. Or they say, where are we going to next? You know what? Doesn't matter. And get on the plane and you be like, okay. <laughs> uh, and yet then... I swear, once we get to India, they have, like, all these shots of the BMW electric car and Bugatti Veyrons in front of the, the huge building and a party. They were just read as fancy car to me. I had no throwing idea money. They're, you know, million-dollar cars. And they're yeah. like the fastest production car in the world. Uh, parked out front. I was waiting for those in Dubai because I think of Dubai as far more excessive than Mumbai, you know? Like, I realize that the telecom industry and, you know, there are rich people in Mumbai, but Dubai, that's, like... The whole point of the city, they built it for rich people to build things. And I'm like, so the opulence and like the Burj Khalifa, that's the whole point of it. So I expected that to be throwing money in front of the camera and being like, ooh, here's what Dubai is all about. And they didn't. I was like, oh, how restrained that it's just another place. You know, they could have said, we're going to Chicago. And it's like, 
you're Chicago, there's tall buildings. And, yeah. and yet then India all of a sudden is like, ooh, lavish shots, look at this party. And really the party like felt like the party from the first one that their mission is in, that they get blown. And I'm like, this is a weird tone shift the again. The first film? The first Mission Impossible, uh -huh. to where they're at the French or whatever party, yeah, yeah. and there's he has to get in the elevator as a senator. And like, it just felt, again, tone-wise as a shift, and um, like a different movie. We're now in like a Pierce Brosnan or a, the J.J. Abrams show Alias. I always used, I watched like the first two seasons of that, and I'm like, it's so formulaic. There's a, something you need to get but luckily, it's in an embassy basement, and there's an embassy party tomorrow night. Put on a sexy <laughs> dress, and you have to slip through. And I'm like, this is the embassy party scene, and it's old hat, you know, we're just going to go through these motions. And the uh, who wants to be a millionaire guy is the, you know, the tech, the rich playboy guy. And he, again, has like the dated hair and things, which I guess is just because they're saying he's Indian, he, his style and everything. No, is no, no. I, just to clarify that, because it is distracting and weird. I worked on the show 24 during the season that he was the president of, uh, I think Iran. I think they actually okay. said Iran and not a made up country for once. Uh, that was his hair. It was like in his contract that, that he had a hairstylist that did that to him on purpose. That He thinks that he looks great like that. Nice. And nice. Uh, that's, that is a demand. Okay. Uh, I thought they were just, they were making fun of Indians or saying, oh, look how old, like dated it is there. They're still in the 90s. That is, that is his own. Doing like <laughs> Uncle Joey from Full House style or something uh, that used to be a cool guy looker, you know. Even on days when he wasn't working, he would walk it like for like a table reader. He would walk in, he would look like that. Right. Like, wow. So they have again Mission Impossible One or Alias scene like theme party, and meanwhile Jeremy Renner needs to go in the exhaust port of the, like the biggest computer or whatever. Yeah. And again, we get back to they're like, you got to make it down this twenty meter whatever shaft. Uh, I'm going to kill the fan so you can get down. But we have to coat you in a chainmail suit and use a super magnet on a Mars rover, uh, which I was waiting for it to look like Wally. -E, by the way, and I was like, "Oh, how cute!" No, and uh, they did make one Pixar reference in that uh, Tom Cruise did say Alpha One One Three, which is in every Pixar movie because it's like a classroom at CalArts. But other than that, they, okay, they did so, avoid Wally. -E, yes, yeah. and yet the level of cheesiness with this—it was in the trailer where he jumps in the thing, and then there's a giant fan, and he stops like a second before, and I was like, "Oh." They're going to do, was it in Mission Impossible 2 or 3, where he, 2, where he, they have to, they uh, parachuted into a, a fan exhaust already, turn it on at the right minute, and it zooms in, you know, sideways, and they kind of like... Yeah, that's the second one. Yeah, so that, I was like, oh, they're going back to that. It's the big fan that Simon Pegg kicks on, right, at the last second to, like, so he can indoor skydive. And no, it's a super magnet little Mars rover cart that catches. I'm like, what? And it's just like... It shows it drive with him now on it. I'm like, first off, that cart doesn't look like it could support all his weight, which, you know, with magnetism, it's not like it's just magically dispersed into the air. Like, he's still being supported by that cart. Second off, it starts driving through concrete metal grates and then a supercomputer <laughs> that this electromagnet that's apparently powerful enough to lift a 180 to 200-pound man several feet in the air is now beaming through this satellite relay that's the most advanced in the world or, you know, and no effect on it, by the way. Like, or even the, the little, like, USB memory stick that he has yeah. and he has to plug in, that's also fine. Right, no. And again, with the overly complicated, he turned off the fan in the exhaust thing. Get a rope, drop down the chute. 
turn the fan back Call on into to the computer medium the so that it doesn't get hot and you're done. Like <laughs> it was ridiculous in theory. It was ridiculous <laughs> looking. The whole part where Jeremy Renner was floating looked cheesy, like special effects wise, and just him being. I'm like, this looks like in Alien or you know. A, Space movie or 2001, where someone has to like go through and repair the computer, in, and they're pulling themselves through a bulkhead, you know, and like repairing, right. and it just was bad. And the whole and then on top of India that, scene was just that tone, that uh, level of ridiculousness. Just sort of the he's moving through space, floating with a magnet. How is he moving his arms? His arms are covered in the metal. Yeah, like he would be like suspended and be fighting apparently a magnet that can lift 180 pounds at least to move his arm. Right. No, that is not a problem. It didn't make any... They were like, we want him to be floating. Like, yeah. do something. Come up with something that makes him float. And they're so, like, magnets. It was very ridiculous. And just, again, back to that tone shift of... for In worlds where he shorts a landing, jumping in a window and gets hurt in the Burj Khalifa and things, where you're going to be like, you know what? People screw up. It's realistic. It's gritty. And then this. It feels like two different movies. And, you know, like, people just... Different people controlled each scene and okayed things. So... They do that, and then they find out again Michael Nyquist is a step behind him, and he's shutting all the servers down. And yet, oh, that was the other thing, is that when he shows up, he has the henchman with him that he impersonated in Dubai. I'm like, I thought that guy was made up. I thought it was an alter ego that he just cultivated so he could slip in in our places. No, it's a real dude that I'm like, why did he send him, or why... Why didn't it just... I mean, I guess if he knew people were on the lookout for him, he didn't want to show up his own face or else they'd be like, grab him instead of get the codes or follow them. But still, make up a third guy that doesn't even really right. exist. So we see him and they shut down the satellite and then there's a chase to get... It's already been launched and then yeah, they decided... Like, and some of that was sort of fine. I like that I like that it got launched and they're like, shit. And then they keep going, and I was like, yeah, that's, you know, cool. And then, but of course, they get to the end, and they're like, we have to find something for, everybody has to have a job to do. Yeah. Like, the, you have to go fight the guy, and then turn on the lights, and then he'll do the science stuff, and then she'll do the, kick the girl out the window, whatever. Uh, it did, I actually thought that part was good in that they were intercutting between, you know, Tom Cruise and them trying to get there, and... Uh, Simon Pegg and them, they all show up, and then it becomes like, wait, he's going after the guy, he's got to fix the thing, he's going after Michael Nyquist, you know, in the parking structure. Uh, and they intercut between them all, like, you know, Tom Cruise and Michael Nyquist fighting over the briefcase, uh, Simon Pegg trying to repair the thing, uh, Jeremy Renner, I, I think it was very clear what their motivations were for each of them, for as much intercutting. I even stopped and said, wait, what is he, oh, he's trying to turn on the power switch, that's right. And then yeah, there was even a point when he's fighting the guy and he reaches for it and yeah. the guy pulls him away. Yeah. So, I was like, oh, he's focusing on the thing he's supposed to be doing. So that, I think, the good part about that scene was that it was clear what everyone was doing and what they were facing, uh, except for Tom Cruise fighting Michael Nyquist, who, <laughs> in all the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo trilogy movies, he looks kind of heavy and not overly healthy, like he's a smoker and doesn't eat right and everything. In this, he cleaned up a bit. It looks like he worked out and at least lost a waddle on his neck and stuff. But he still has to be, like, 58. <laughs> and he's a Swedish nuclear theorist. Why is he... I realize there's cars moving and everything in the scene where he's fighting Tom Cruise. Why is this a fight at all? It's, again, one of the things where you set up a bad guy that's all intellectual and stuff, but ultimately it like always comes down to a fist fight. And Tom Cruise is a special agent trained at killing people or disabling them. It should have been, like, two exchanges. They throw a lot of cars in there, and actually, like, Tom Cruise gets his foot trapped under a Volkswagen and it breaks it or something, so... There, there's 
odds that he's not, not yeah, just Yeah, but even guy. then I still think that Tom Cruise should still be able to kick his ass with his broken leg. Yeah, and so he, you know, they're, he's ultimately at the end the bad guy's just throwing the briefcase out of his reach, which is interesting, but it didn't feel like a big culminating fight scene that the movie should have had for the scope that everything else had. It's kind of a disappointment and just wanted to show off the moving cars and things, which yeah. they really have garages like that. Where it's yeah, I, I believe that they're real. Uh, I mean, the guy ultimately throws the briefcase off the thing and Tom Cruise drives a car off. And it's like, the amount of time that he took to like buckle up and find the car and everything, I feel like he could have jumped on the stars. Yeah. Like, we saw him in the Russian prison jump off a railing, like link down to the next one, and then walk Very casually, like it was yeah. just his wife walking around. Do that five times till you're down to 12 feet or wherever you can drop from, like, or jump to, you know. But he, apparently he has to crash a BMW every three minutes in the movie <laughs> in a fantastical way that shows off this, the eight airbags or whatever they yeah. have in these. It was, uh, it was sort of, there wasn't enough of, uh, like the, the one, I think my favorite scene overall was the discussion of how did you know that the flare was going to work? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, and like, like just sort of a philosophy of how he does these things. And I guess, like, maybe he didn't know that crashing the car would work, and it, and it just happened to work. But, like, it's never addressed again. We don't get that line of how did you know, and him saying, look, sometimes you just have to, you know, act on instinct or know what they're, they're going to be trained to do or that what their instincts will tell them to do, not what their rationale will. Yeah. So we didn't get that line. And then he crawls over to the case, and it's at least there's a second a countdown. And he yells, mission accomplished, and hits the button. And it doesn't work. And it doesn't work. And I thought the line was so cheesy that I'm like, really? Like, what? And, you know, that that's terrible. And who is he even saying it to? Because as far as I can tell, the, the guy does move later. But at the time, I thought the dude was dead. Yeah. And so then he, everyone finally gets their shit together and puts the, the power on the battery. In, and then he hits it, and it stops just in time. And it was going towards San Francisco? Yeah. And it clips the nuke. Clips 10 feet off of the Transamerica building or whatever that pyramid-shaped one is. Uh, nuclear weapons detonate <laughs> like a quarter mile up to create a big input. They create a footprint by detonating up top and then pressing down all that. Like, if they just crashed into a building and then went off, it would be a much smaller explosion. Yeah. So the fact that it was already close enough to, like, clip the building, not realistic again, maybe... I think you can set them to that. The, the only justification them. I have for that is the same as like the bullet stuff, where it's like we think of bombs exploding when they hit. Right. So and so if you don't explain earlier in the film, the nuke goes off in the air, which is kind of why why take the time. Right. You sort of have to do it with the layman's understanding of a bomb. Yeah. So I was. I sort of. It's fine weird. with that, except for again him saying mission accomplished, hitting the button. Uh, they try to call that out in like the little meetup at the end, where yeah. Ving Rhames does finally show up. They're in Seattle and drinking. And it, it feels just what, like... What was Figmaid doing this whole time that he couldn't be in this movie? Is, it, is there another... in real life? Yeah. Oh, like, I don't know. Why was he like, Mission I, Impossible 4, no thank you. I'm going to say they didn't call him... Like, again, with the grittiness, he doesn't translate that. He was pitch perfect for, like, the first one. You know, he shows up in the other ones as a little jokey aside. Like, Wait, you don't think that the guy who uh, is who originated the I'm going to go medieval on his ass line cannot be... Realistic? I think... Or gritty? No, he doesn't have the edge, I think. He... That line is a little, you know, cheesy at this point. Yes. Like, so he... Yes, he can be still Marcellus Wallace, but I think his character that they set him up in this, A, doesn't have, like, the gravitas as much, you know, as the other ones. Yeah. Like, you know, Jeremy Renner or someone, you're like, oh, he's got shadows or whatever. 
Tom Cruise, in this one you could believe he could kill someone or leave a guard to die or something like that. I think Ving Rhames brings some of the jokiness from the yeah. first two. He was always the jokey one. So uh, they probably wanted to avoid that, even though they clearly didn't with a lot of stuff I pointed out. I think as an early casting decision, they probably said, we want this to be a little grittier. Maybe not Ving Rhames. We'll do a little thing with the throwaway at the end to make it consistent. But that whole ending sequence st struck me as right back to the ending of Mission Possible 1 where him, they're in Ireland or something because they're at a pub and there's the cranberries are playing. Uh, this is the same way they're in Seattle and it's him and Bing Rams talking about it. And he calls out, oh, you really said Mission Accomplished? And it's funny that they're making fun of it, but it's not funny because you can tell that's the only reason they put it there to try and justify it. Right. And I'm like, it's not worth the joke. There's not an actual joke there. Yeah. Like, it's not like turning it on its ear like the Jeremy Renner discussion of how, how the flare worked. Uh, it's just... Hey, you said that line that we put there? I'm, I'm now referring to it. <laughs> so the, it just struck me as odd. And he, Tom Cruise had like very windswept top uh, hair. The rest of the movie, they slick it back and stylize it. And then the end thing, they're like, oh, now he's on his off time. His hair is going to look terrible. And <laughs> the, a lot of it shot just says, this feels like it's back in the 90s for some reason. Yeah. And then he explains the, the fact that, you know, to... I actually did notice, I, don't, I usually don't notice people's hair, but I did notice Tom Cruise sort of had the longish 90s hair when he was, like, the biggest he ever was. And uh, Jeremy Renner had a more modern, like, short haircut yeah. with a little point in the front, like you have right now. Wow. Again, <laughs> you uh, cannot see that. But it was sort of, uh, it was sort of the movie, ultimately, I think sort of the, the end result of all of this, is that it was just kind of all over the place. Yeah. And I I enjoyed it, but I don't know that I'm ever going to see it again right it was better than the second one not as good as the third one maybe like the first one i think i like more just because tone wise it's more complete this one did feel like a mashup of greedy realism and again if you want to say maybe they did it on purpose and they're bringing jeremy renner in from like hurt locker and stuff and being like that part of the movie is him and he's going to take it from here and then tom cruise is the 90s and this fantastical stuff where this would have flown and we're going to shuffle the deck on scene and decide which way the tone goes. But ultimately, it's the two of them, and then maybe we'll transition to Jeremy Renner. If, like, if you step back and like, uh, analyze the film as a, a work in the series and in the context of where we are in you know, history, maybe that's what this is a result of. I don't think they said that consciously when they set out to me. Yeah, maybe, maybe in the fifth one when Tom Cruise replaces uh, Tom Wilkinson. And Tom Cruise is in charge, and Jeremy Renner is the one who gets disavowed halfway through the film. Like, maybe this one will, in the larger context of the five movies, make more sense as and a feel more point. as... But yeah, currently, as you watch it as, a, as its own movie, its parts were great. In fact, even some of the cheesy parts were fine if that's if the entire film was that. Right, that was their intent. And it's... it's uh, I can't really in good conscience, recommend the film other than maybe to watch the Dark Knight trailer ahead of time. <laughs> there you go. Or I was going to say on DVD or sometime. Yeah, I mean... Then you may not get the scope, which is yeah, one of the things It's not like. a film to avoid, per se, but it's also not a film to seek out. Right. Uh, which is disappointing because I really like Brad Bird and I hope his... Whatever he does next, the Earthquake San Francisco movie uh, that he's working on uh, maybe this is a was better a, film. Maybe this was a setup for that, that nuke that landed in San Francisco <laughs> Bay like goes off or leaks something and hits a fault. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, it would have to involve time travel because the earthquake is the 1918. Oh, right. Okay, well, still. <laughs> but in any case, uh, it, it sort of soured me. And, uh, it's not as good as I would have hoped considering everybody involved. Um, so it's, it's ultimately a disappointment to me. 
Yeah, me too. I was expecting something a little better. It was not that, so maybe it knocked it down a lot more than I would have thought of the movie if I had just gone in cold. But overall, like I said, like you said, I wouldn't recommend it to seek it out. Yeah. And thanks for listening.